You know what occurs to me? I start off this show every week by yelling into the microphone, and while I think that lends a certain excitement to the beginning of the podcast, it's also, I don't know, a little bit rude, right? So this week, I'm going to be calm and cool, and I'm simply going to inform you that this is, in fact, the Benefit of a Doubt podcast, in case there was any doubt. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week, Cliff and I are taking a look at the U.S. phone market and asking ourselves, why does this suck so bad? I mean, jeez. While I was still an editor at Digital Trends, one of my freelancers wrote an op-ed about how terrible the U.S. market is, and you know what? He was right. So that's what Cliff and I are talking about. There's also still no Tech Yeah this week, but not for lack of trying. The Tech Yeah that we recorded was actually quite visual, but a technical difficulty caused us to not record the video. And by technical difficulty, I mean podcast host stupidity. But, you know, we all have our bad days. That's also why if you're watching this on YouTube, you only see a benefit of a Dowd logo and not my smiling face. Some might call that an upgrade, and I'll be honest... It's a fair point. Things should be back to normal next week, just in time for the hiatus, because that's how these things work, right? Oh, speaking of the hiatus, podcast patrons, just a heads up, despite the fact that the hiatus is running from June 15th through July 17th, I'll be skipping the month of June for billing on Patreon. Patreon doesn't allow me to bill half months, so I'm skipping one full month. Trust me, the math checks out. So with that, let's get into the news of the week. First of all, before we jump into the news, I wanted to let you know that I just appeared on Miriam Joire's podcast, the Mobile Tech Podcast. It was a fun time, despite an admittedly slow news week, which, by the way, is why this news segment is shorter than usual. I also wanted to give you a quick update on the show. I haven't been doing live script reads of late because I haven't been recording the script on Fridays that much, but I definitely want to get back into that habit. So look for me to pick that up again after the hiatus. As for other changes that are coming, I've got a few ideas so definitely stay tuned for Season 4. Getting back to Miriam's show, Miriam started the show by talking to MediaTek about a lot of things, including Wi-Fi 7, and you might be thinking, Wi-Fi 7? We just got Wi-Fi 6, and yeah, things are moving pretty fast, but Wi-Fi 7 is going to be pretty awesome, so be sure to tune in for that, and stay for yours truly. And with that, let's get to the news. An often overlooked application to the robot is in elder care. Those of a certain generation often find themselves living alone and generally lonely, which, by the way, is not the same thing. A robot named LEQ was developed specifically to try to fill that niche, and it seems to have worked because the state of New York purchased 800 of them to give them away to elders in the state who might need them. And before you ask, yes, I double-checked, there are more than 800 old people in New York, but 800 represents... Okay, it's a tiny sample size, but still, it's, it's a good start. 
LAQ was developed by an Israeli firm called Intuition Robotics, and it was designed to live somewhere in between Google Assistant and Amazon's Astro. It has a pedestal that lights up and looks at you, and a companion smart screen, and it can help you remember things or call a taxi. It can also accept voice calls, and it seems to be very conversational, telling jokes, and most importantly, responding to requests without the OKG hot word. This could be a pretty neat thing for elders in New York, and I'm also fascinated to find out how they take to their new robot companion. One of my favorite fitness bands is the Xiaomi Mi Band, and Xiaomi just rolled out a new one, the Mi Band 7. It still costs less than $50, which is awesome, and has a slightly larger screen at 1.62 inches. Xiaomi also launched over 100 new watch faces to go with the fitness band, and the oxygen sensor can now notify you with a vibration if your blood oxygen level dips below 90%. You'll get up to 14 days on a single charge, and that's one of my favorite features if I'm being totally honest. The main reason why I love the Xiaomi band, though, is because of the battery life, and some of the watch faces were pretty decent. Notifications are also solid, and the screen is easily readable. Those are all great things to have in a smartwatch or a fitness band. Plus, the fact that you get all this for under $50 is just stupid cheap. The Mi Band 7 is released in China only for the moment, but if its predecessors are any indication, it'll be coming to the U.S. in no time. And yeah... I'll probably recommend that you pick one up. Apple launched its self-repair plan about a month ago, and not surprisingly, some tech journalists jumped at the chance to test the process out. Enter Sean Hollister from The Verge. Sean wanted to replace the battery on his iPhone 13 mini, and here's a TLDR version of what happened. Apple charged him $69. (laughs) 69 for the battery and $49 to rent the Apple authorized tools he needed to complete the repair. The repair came with an 80 page instruction manual on how to do it. 80 pages. Sean also had to put down a $1,200 deposit for the tools for which he would be charged if he didn't return the tools within seven days. Yikes. Now, if that sounds like a lot of hoops to jump through, you're right, it is. The tools arrived in two giant pelican cases, and the repair process was, to put it mildly, laborious and risky. And from all of that, Sean's ultimate conclusion is spot on, and I'm going to use his words here because he's absolutely on the nose here. Quote, I don't think Apple expects anyone to seriously take it up on the offer of self-repair kits. It's stacked the deck in favor of taking your phone to an Apple store where it can tempt you to buy something new instead. The real victory will come months or years down the road, though. That's when Apple can tell legislators that it tried to give right-to-repair advocates what they wanted, but consumers overwhelmingly decided that Apple knows best. This next story is a bit of a rumor, and you know how we feel about rumors here, but I can't help it. This rumor is just a little bit exciting. A new video, or actually a GIF, but it's the same thing, showing the next version of the Moto Razr that's on its way surfaced. This time, Moto is not only taking a page from Samsung's book, but it's basically just taking the book, copying over a lot of the design elements, and adding in a couple things of its own. The old-school chin is gone, instead opting for a flat top and bottom. There's a pair of 
cameras on the back, seemingly indicating a main and a wide-angle camera. But the thing that makes it Moto is the same, the large exterior screen, which seems to have gotten even larger, if you could imagine that. Another upgrade seems to be that the phone will be moving to the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 processor, although honestly, I think in this arena, the Snapdragon 7 might be a better choice in terms of battery life. But overall, it looks like Moto might be figuring out a great way to break into foldable space, copy Samsung. Sorry, I know the first two razors were nifty and real tributes to the razors of old, but that chin really had to go. The next thing Moto needs to do is up their camera game and software support game. But the same could be said for all Moto phones, actually. It's really hard to justify picking up a foldable phone with a crappy camera that won't get Android 15 in a couple of years, assuming the screen survives that long, that is. Moto does some really great things with software overall, but they seem to forget that the phones exist once they get out the door. And that is Moto's biggest problem in the phone space. We're all pretty familiar with the air quotes partnership of camera brands and phone brands. Hasselblad and OnePlus, Zeiss and Lumia. Now Leica is crawling into bed with Xiaomi with another partnership. And this one, I'll be honest, is a little intriguing. Of course, how intriguing remains to be seen. Often a partnership like this is basically just a sticker trade where Hasselblad gets to remind the world that it makes cameras by putting a sticker on the back of a OnePlus phone. But in terms of Leica, more often than not, it seems like that brand does really good work on phones. And for proof, look no further than Huawei. Leica and Huawei have been working together for some time now, and Huawei cameras are just Mwah, stellar. The rest of the phone is unusable, but the cameras are stellar. And that's why I'm optimistic over this partnership. This could turn out to be a, oh, Leica tuned our colors to make them more Leica-like, but given past successes, I'm inclined to think that this might turn out to be a pretty cool thing, which is great since Xiaomi is already doing some pretty great things with cameras. But it's not so great because you can't buy a Xiaomi phone anywhere within a thousand miles of U.S. shores, but who knows? Maybe that'll change someday, too. I know I'm speaking for a lot of people when I say, if you watch drone footage, one of the constant struggles you might have is the fact that you can't do a 360-degree video of a drone flying without seeing the drone itself in the frame. Until now! But in all seriousness, you probably don't care about this in the slightest, and I frankly don't blame you. Drones are pretty niche as far as segments go, but Insta360 wants to make your 360-degree drone camera footage even better. And again, I realize that you are probably not actually shooting 360 drone footage, nor do you really have any desire to, but just go with me on this, would you? It's my show. The Insta360 Sphere is a camera or pair of cameras that straps to the top and bottom of your drone and stitches the video together to form a continuous sphere as your drone flies through the air. Specifically, it works with the Mavic Air 2 and Air 2S drones, which is... Oddly specific, but then again, it kind of has to be. This camera is designed to fit onto your drone's top and bottom and not interfere with any sensors or other functions of the drone. You can't expect a universal fit there, I get that. But the promise of a flying ball of video in the air is compelling, so I hope this thing is as cool as it could be. Otherwise, this is a bit of a wasted effort on Insta's part and a bit of a waste of news story on Benefit of a Doubt's part. Speaking of which, I have a couple of drones in the Benefit of a Doubt lab that will be getting tested and will make their debuts in season four of the podcast, so that will be a lot of fun. 
And finally, speaking of drones, you know how you can go out to a golf course and hit a sweet hole-in-one and have the entire flight of the ball recorded by a racing drone and a professional video drone crew? Oh, you don't? Oh, I guess that's just Tom Brady then, because that's what he did. And I should say right off the bat that this was not a hole-in-one. It was a golf shot from the fairway that went into the hole. But the entire shot was recorded by a racing drone, and it ultimately turned into a pretty sweet video that you have to see to believe. And you could do that with a link in the show notes that links to my retweet of the video. Plus, while you're looking at my Twitter profile, you can subscribe to the newsletter to have that video and all the other stories delivered straight to your inbox every week. And did I just turn a news story into a promo for my newsletter? Hmm, maybe? But the shot is pretty sweet, so go check it out and then, you know, sign up for the newsletter. And I thank you. we can move on to our top story, which is based on an article that I commissioned from one of my freelancers while I was still the um, acting editor, interim editor at Digital Trends with the headline, the U.S. market for phones is boring and terrible. And one of the, th- one of the reasons that I wanted to write this was this was kind of a a leftover article from when AJ was editor there. Um, he was, uh, this, it happened right around um, Samsung Unpacked, and he was just kind of like looking around the U.S. marketplace at phones, and he's just like, wow, there's like nothing here. I mean, when you really stop and think about it, compared to compared to the rest of the world, the options that you have in the rest of the world, the U.S. phone market is fairly limited and i like the way i like the way that nadim wrote this because he says uh you know it starts off i'll just read this verbatim i often get queries like which is the best phone for around six hundred dollars or what's the best budget phone for three hundred dollars and it says before i start to research my answer i find myself asking if the person posing the question lives in the u.s or asia for the former it's easy to list the few options that are available for folks based in Europe or Asia, I need to open a dozen browser tabs to do a spec comparison because that's how many options are on the table at any given price record. And really, that's what brings us here today. Like, obviously, obviously, I felt this way because I asked Nadim to write this. Obviously, Nadim feels this way because he wrote it. And I wanted to, uh, you know, bring Cliff in, in the conversation because he's owned every phone that's ever lived. So <laughs> it was, it seemed like a a good topic for this podcast. So let's uh, let's dive in. How are you feeling about this, Cliff? It's something I felt uh, honestly. I, I've been in agreement with for a while, and it's been a while since we've had a lot of choice. It seems like every time we get a good choice, uh, something else either like a. It's, let me rephrase. It seems like every time we get a new entrant into our market, another one goes away in terms of a brand. Yeah. yeah. Or, uh, and, you know, when I when I first started um, getting into smartphones, I mean, you had not just choices of manufacturers, a lot more choices, but you also had um, a lot more choices in terms of operating systems, which is its own conversation. But right. yeah. you know, it's, that is it's a definitely a different conversation. It is for sure. <laughs> but you know, I, I, as as the smartphone industry has matured, it's and, and it's gone to what I always consider sort sort of the inevitable outcome of of 
binary choices in terms of an operating system. It's the way it's always gone with everything else. I don't know why that is. I don't know if humans are just comfortable with less choice. It sure seems that way sometimes, especially for Americans, which is kind of what we're talking about right now, right? Right, because right, yeah. I think a lot of uh, uh, of what locks down uh, our market so much has, is in large part due to uh, the fact that most people, and this I think is one of the major differences I think between especially like the Asian market versus, um, or in, and maybe even the European market versus us, is that most people buy their phones through a carrier and they're financed through a carrier and most of the, most of the time you're getting those phones at a reduced cost um, because of the carrier. because of the carrier, <laughs> and because yeah. the carrier has the ultimate say in obviously what they carry, uh, you're limited mm-hmm. to what choices they offer. Or even if you buy an unlocked phone, especially now that five um, G has been introduced, a lot of these carriers that were a lot more friendly towards um, unlocked devices are now starting to require certification on their networks again. So, come speaking of which. Did you see the news from about a week ago? I hit my mic stand on the... I think I bought my table, too, so we're we're, we're right there. Oh, we're good. We're good, Mm. then. Um, No, speaking of which, did you see the news that came across the feed about a week ago or so? I might actually include this in the news uh, for this week, but um, the LG Wing was certified for Verizon's (laughs) C-band... 5G, which is just the most hilarious thing ever. And by the way, I really need to get George, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, on this podcast for A Beyond a Doubt. He's he's basically like the um, like the main spokesperson for um, for Verizon. He does like oh, a lot of videos for them gotcha. and stuff like that. So um, I, I need to get him on because he's just a he's just a, he's a good dude and he's he's hilarious. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, he he sent out that email saying, "Hey, big news for LG." <laughs> I mean, literally the subject line was "Big news for LG for LG Wing." Uh, for, for the <laughs> dozens of people yeah. using a wing on Verizon right now. Yeah. But, you know, getting back to the point, you're, you're very right. It, 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 the carriers have an enormous amount of power over what comes to the United States, which is like, you know, I know I have listeners right now in other countries that are thinking like, why? Like, what? what's the deal? Because like in, you know, just about anywhere else in the world, you can take your phone Go to any carrier you want on any given month. You know, whoever has the best deal, you can just sign up for them. You get your number ported over. Like, and from what I understand, it's a fairly easy process. And you know what? I just thought of a, a, to, a new, another top story for season four of the podcast is we need to get someone in from like Europe who can talk about like the experience of owning a cell phone in oh, like absolutely. Europe or Asia or something. Especially like that. someone like Not us just, that maybe has multiple uh uh lines, lines or right multiple exactly or or, yeah. or who has yeah. who switches relatively often so, right well so. anyway we'll move on from this planning session but um but no like carriers just have so much power over what phones are are in their stores because when you buy a phone in the US chances are you are buying it from a carrier that's why it was a really big deal when OnePlus came to T-Mobile with the was was it the 6T was it that long ago I don't think it was the 6T was it it might have been the 6 uh, anyway that's why but it was a big time, deal yes. when one when OnePlus cracked the magenta egg as it were <laughs> 
and started showing up in T-Mobile stores, that was a very big deal for OnePlus because suddenly there's a whole U.S. market that's open to them. Uh, when LG left the, 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 the phone space, that left a huge hole in the carrier market because LG's like most popular phone was like a, a K series phone that was, you know, 200 bucks or something right. like that, like on postpaid plans. Like I, I remember the year that LG left the phone market that Christmas, the top 10 activations on Christmas, the day after Christmas or something like that were like iPhone, 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 LG K something iPhone. Mm -hmm. Like the LG was the only one to crack like the top, the top. Because that model was number. on, not just, uh, um, postpaid carriers, but also prepaid, and then you know, uh, MDNOs yeah. like a straight talk, uh, and men's right. and things like that. And that same basic model, um, yeah. And LG was one of those companies that I mean, as an as like an aside to that, but also sort of within why I think they were so liked by companies like Verizon, um, yeah, was that they would spec their phones and create custom phones for you historically compared to someone like Samsung who a long time ago Very became true. much more like Apple in terms of saying no we're not doing branding on the outside for you we are and these are the apps that come on it I mean that LG would be like yeah. sure you want this sure you want that okay <laughs> no problem right, exactly we'll do that that's yeah and so like so anyway what it really boils down to right now in the US if you want to buy a phone you're buying an Apple phone you're buying a Samsung phone you're buying a Motorola phone, you're buying a TCL phone, maybe, and you're buying a OnePlus phone, maybe. Did I miss anybody? I think that's about that's it. That's about it, right? honestly. Yeah. So like, or you can or, buy a blue or phone. like a, a um, some sorry, especially if you're on like uh, T-Mobile, you might be buying one of their uh, T-Mobile branded phones. Well. So Stephen Strait, in one of my talks with him, mentioned that T-Mobile was actually issuing the Revel brand for TCL phones really? this year. Huh. Yeah, so that was kind of a thing. So I don't know, like a hundred percent, like how guaranteed that was, but he did mention it. So, um, yeah, so the Revel brand, which we did, in, which we did review on this podcast mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, may be going the way of the dinosaur. Um, but yeah, now you can buy uh, a, a Nubia Red Magic phone that works on U.S. carriers, not ironically on T-Mobile's 5G network for some reason. Oh, that's right. I just thought of that. Anyway, um, you can buy a blue phone for, um, you know, on Amazon. You can go to, and, and I think blue actually is one of the more popular selling phones oh, on Amazon. They're almost always because, at the top for unlocked devices. Absolutely. Yeah, because they're unlocked and they're super cheap. Um, so you can buy those. And, you know, there's probably a few other brands that, like, sell predominantly in foreign markets, but also, like, have a website that you can order from here. Um, but, you know, that's really about it. And it's it's a little it's a little sad. It's a little scary. You know, especially when you consider like how much power carriers have over what sells and what does not. It's, it's probably here's the thing. It's probably not a a big deal for most people outside of oh, no. of, of gadgets fans, but I I really feel like 
if customers were used to ha- in 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 the North American market, specifically the United States, I don't I don't know what it's like in Canada. I think it's more similar to what it's like here than it is like Europe or. Well, Canada has more options. Like, right. for example, we talked to Daniel Bader about the uh, about a Huawei phone mm-hmm. once upon a time that didn't have Google services because he was in Canada and he was able to get it. Mm. Um, and you know, I know, like, I think Xiaomi ships to Canada. I I know, you know, I think there's a few other um, phone makers that ship to Canada. Yeah, I'm not sure like what the purchasing experience is like right. there. Um, like, I don't know if they predominantly sell through carriers or if they sell through, you know, unlocked websites. I don't know if you can hop to carriers like you can overseas. I'm not sure about that. And, well, maybe we need to add that to the, <laughs> to the discussion. It's really just a brainstorming session disguised as, as, really, a, as a feature. This, that, that's what it is. That's what it is. But, so, but um, so, so my point yeah. was that I feel like if people or, or customers in the, in the United States, uh, uh, a large percentage of them, would would welcome more options. I mean, can, can you imagine? I'm trying. I'm gonna try to make an analogy here, and sometimes my analogies are successful, and sometimes they're not. But let's just say, um, uh, you wanted to buy a diesel engine vehicle, but you could only get that from Ford because they had control of all of diesel, uh, and then gasoline engines were from. Uh, and and that it, my my point being, and that's just what you're used to, or or you could only mm. fill up at certain gas stations with certain brands. I feel like that's right. right versus just like buying a car and you could fill it up anywhere with the, the same kind of feel. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's kind of what it's like. Yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely see where you're going with that, and yeah, it's it's just. And I guess, like, you know, normally what I would like to do in a podcast like this is to ask the question, like, what can we do to fix it? And I don't know that there's anything that we can do to fix it because it's like, I mean, you can't, I mean, obviously you and I can order overseas. There's third party retailers that will sell. I mean, shoot, (laughs) you've bought several phones that you can't buy in the United States. Uh, What was the, what's the latest phone that you bought that you weren't able to get in the United States? I want to say it was the the Realme, the original Realme GT. Yes. That's my latest imported phone. So I mean, that was over a year ago. So for me, that's quite a long time, but here's, here's the experience now because not that I really care that much about 5G because, at least for me, the experience, because I don't live in a major metropolitan area, the experience really isn't any different than, like, mediocre LTE. But right. if you import a device from, uh, you know, and, and just, just let's just say it's a it's the world, like, world model that supports GSM and LTE and all that, technically, if, if even if the bands are, compa- if it has bands to support, like, T-Mobile 5G. A lot of times, it's mm-hmm. not a, and it may come back, up, came up, come up on your screen that you have 5G, but you're not getting 5G. Mm, but you're not getting. You're like just the, getting the LTE. Uh, it just, it just, it'll, it'll detect that the bands are there, but you're not actually getting the data, and that's where we're at. And you mentioned uh, just a minute ago what the the question that you would ultimately like to ask is what can be done about it. Well, I mean, you can't control what businesses do in terms of their infrastructure and things like that without nationalizing the whole thing. Right. Clearly. However, um, you know, there, there have been under some different um, executive branch regimes, um, different uh, versions of the FCC that will actually 
you know, are more or less um, willing to put the smack down on the business practices of carriers. I don't know mm. if you remember years ago when, when Verizon um, mandated that you, you had to, let's just see, you couldn't bring unlocked phones onto their, onto their network. And they also had the thing where if you took your phone internationally, which I think this is actually, was actually a progenitor of the unlocked thing that you, you had to mm. use Verizon's international data plans. You couldn't use something um, from like a different, from a different service like provider. Exactly. And so, mm. and I'm, I'm sort of just pulling this from memory, but I believe I'm correct in saying that the FCC came down and basically said, you have to make your network compatible with, you have to, you have to sell phones that are, Unlocked Are for we international. Talking about back in like the three G days, or I think this, this is was, that, was this, this is if I remember right, this is around the time of when they were selling Windows phones that were branded Nokia. Hmm. Okay. Well. So yeah, so like five or six years yeah. ago, basically. Um, uh, well, because if I remember correctly, like when we made the transition from from three G to four G, basically um, the GSM versus CDMA networks kind of died out right. and like became kind of a non I mean the 3G was still was wondering a, if it was... the 3G was still a fallback right so that yeah, yeah. that that could, but I no I I think this was when LTE was still out in in its build out phase um for okay. most networks but it, it was more it had to do with the fact that you couldn't travel internationally with a Verizon phone and use anything other than Verizon's data which was super expensive um, well, yeah, but I'm also kind of wondering if that was because of the CDMA thing, because you know the the networks weren't like physically weren't compatible, and 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 four G kind of consolidated that. Maybe it consolidated it because of these rulings. Um, maybe that's what you know. Maybe Verizon did some from from three G, right? Um, yeah, I'll be. I, I'm not I enough of a network person to know, <laughs> so I'm kind of wondering if maybe. I'd actually, I'd have to go back and, and, and research the like the the step by steps of how that happened. But because of that, the results right. were that I could um, use this is I actually became a Verizon customer again because back then Verizon had the by far the best coverage in the rural area uh, that I live mm-hmm. in, and I could actually use an unlocked uh, phone because it depended on which device you had. Uh, but uh, right. a lot of them were compatible with uh, Verizon's. Uh, LTE bands, you just wouldn't have any fallback to, to 3G. And now they're, with 5G, that they're sort of backtracking on that. And, and, and not just Verizon, but I know AT&T especially has become really bad about this, about not certifying phones mm. for their network um, so that yeah. they just won't work at all. And so, yeah, the, the, I think the, really the only network right now that I know of that's like a major U.S. network, that that is gen- generally open to having unlocked phones on their network. Although Verizon's not too bad, but uh, T-Mobile, T-Mobile. T-Mobile by far is, is the best with that. Yeah. Uh, and I also find now that T-Mobile has more supported bands for uh, most of the unlocked, like at least from the uh, Asian market, uh, phones that mm. I've seen as far as LTE is concerned. So it's kind of a win-win it's there. Interesting. But yeah, when I noticed, uh, when I did my review of the Red Magic 7 um, Pro, for uh, for digital trends, I noticed that on T-Mobile, that was actually what occurred to me earlier in the segment. Uh, was I noticed that the phone didn't work on T-Mobile's 5G network? And when I asked them about that, I said, you know, hey, I noticed I'm not getting 5G on there, and they're like, oh yeah, it doesn't support you know uh, T-Mobile's bands. I'm like, 
That's a weird choice because, like, of all the carriers in the United States, T-Mobile's the one that, like, people are most likely to gravitate to if they're buying a phone from you, you right, know? Right, exactly. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting choice that they made, but okay. Yeah, that is interesting. I won't judge. So, but, I mean, it's, it's also 4G, so whatever. Uh, so, I mean, importing yeah. a phone is not something most people are going to do. The majority of people are not going to do that, but I... Um, as long as you can get a still get a great experience from the carrier, because the car- I, most carriers, especially like a Verizon or an AT and T, would say, "Well, we're doing this for you, customer. We want to make sure that somebody doesn't bring some rogue device onto our network and drags down the rest of the network for everybody, and it needs to be secure." And you know, we're this is a cu- yeah. this, but I I understand where they're coming from to a point. But no, really, it's about resting control and having control of, um, you, you know, uh, not the experience, well, but getting more people stay, staying on your brand because they, they were leaking customers to T-Mobile for a long time. Yeah, well, and also um, the certification process itself is, it expensive, is expensive for carriers, for, 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 not for carriers, for phone manufacturers they have to like put their phones through at&t's and verizon's and t-mobile certification Mm -hmm. process which is very expensive for them which you know tends to raise costs which is why phones like i i might be misremembering here but it was it the oneplus 9 was not certified for at&t's network or was actually the oneplus 10 pro i don't remember it's one of the two. It was, it was, was the one. Certified. It was the OnePlus Ten Pro, actually. I think was yeah. it okay. It wasn't certified for AT and T's network, and I'm not sure if it was because of band support or because OnePlus just didn't want to put it through. Maybe both. Probably a combination. Depends on of who both. you ask. Maybe I'm one, guessing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm guessing it's probably something like OnePlus probably knew going in that it probably right. wasn't going to work right. very well. So let's not bother getting the certification process done. Um, not to mention it was exclusive to T-Mobile. I don't know if it's still exclusive to t-mobile i don't know if that exclusive one plus 10 pro out. i think it still is i could be wrong well, maybe it's on the, verizon now i can't the remember. easiest way to tell is to go to oneplus.com and no there is a buy now button at oneplus uh, oneplus.com so you can actually buy it from oneplus now um, oh but Wait a minute. Are you talking about the, well, the 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 newest one for T-Mobile, or are you talking about the 10 Pro? Oh wait, no. You know what? I might be thinking of the I might be thinking of the OnePlus Nord. That's what I thought. Um, the 25 G. Yeah. All right. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Then. But there was there was uh, yeah, some was, question about uh, 5G. I don't think there was 5G compatibility with AT and T when the yeah. 10 Pro launched. So you're right there. You, um, you still can't play, buy the Nord on OnePlus. No. OnePlus. I haven't seen that. Still yeah, it's exclusive to kind T-Mobile. Of, it's kind of hilarious, but anyway. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I, I I doubt that many people were going to T-Mobile's web or to uh, OnePlus's website to One buy the, website. the you know the N100 or N200 uh, series or the the N10. So relative yeah. to like the you know the the high end devices. But here's the other thing that right. I, another reason that I think being a customer in the United States and the carriers that we have is very frustrating because. Some of this has to do with the fact that phones in general, at least the ones that you and I are probably more likely to buy, have gotten more expensive. I, I, mean, I would guess the average price of a phone has gone from like $500 to more like seven or 800 at least for flagships, right? Mm, yeah, for the high I mean, end. For the, well, 
So, I mean, are you talking about like with carrier deals, or are you just talking about like buying the phone outright? Either way, because because I mean, I don't remember. I I could be wrong. Um, because probably back when this may have may or may not have been the case, like when a flagship phone was five hundred dollars, I was probably like so far out of that market that it wasn't like it right. wasn't even on my right. radar to be honest. Um, but I want to say that. So I remember flagship phones used to ship for around seven hundred. And I want to say we're talking like the Samsungs, and I want to say we're talking about like the iPhone, probably like the iPhone six, yeah, iPhone that's seven, right. mm-hmm. might have been right around the six seven hundred dollar mark. Um, but and I don't know if they ever got as cheap as five. I could be. I wrong think that about depends that, on the manufacturer but. too, and the spec and things like that. But regardless, they have definitely gotten more expensive. And so now, if you look at the majority of the financing deals that carriers are offering here in the United States they're three years where they used to be two mm. and so real quick Apple released the iPhone 7 in 2016 starting at650 dollars for the 32 gigabyte model okay so yeah so 650 so yeah I mean we were I think we were both right <laughs> you know um, but yeah now that they're up to a thousand dollars it's a little crazy and just but, and and, and, and and amortizing the cost of a phone over that time isn't necessarily a bad thing it, right. because that's also um, encouraging people to keep their phones longer. So hopefully mm-hmm. less e-waste. Um, in, theory. in theory, right, exactly. Unless you're me contributing single-handedly to half of the phone. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, the issue there is is that um, hold on, I lost my train of thought. Give me a second. Um, I was going to say, a billion activations in 2022, <laughs> and actually 100,000 of them came from Iron Gate, Virginia. <laughs> what is happening? Who That's is this weird. billionaire? <laughs> anyway. Right. So so the problem, I, I feel like with, not some, it, it's not a problem with iPhones uh, in terms of that longer period of time, but when you have some manufacturers that aren't Samsung, <laughs> In in the Android mm. phone space, uh, you know, not giving you more than one, right, exactly. And then yeah. you potentially could end up with a phone over the course of time that isn't even getting security updates, or or if they are getting security updates, it's like every three or four months. And so, potentially, right. that's a problem. And that's besides a lack of choice. I see some other issues like that with our market right now. And, and so it's it's totally. it's just it's definitely swung from in like the last five to six years from being a more not not that we ever had a, a whole lot of choice, but at least you could import phones and put them on networks more easily. So it was it had swung a little bit more towards the cons- being consumer friendly. Now I feel like it's being ratcheted back, and progress that was made has been lost. Yeah. And I don't know what the you know, I don't know what the the customer. Be, I mean, there's no customer benefit to it at all. Less choice. Yeah. <laughs> less uh, less choice for phones. Less choice for carriers. Which I mean, I think that kind of mm-hmm. goes hand in hand. Uh, and, hey, Dish Network, five G network going up in Las Vegas, baby! <laughs> Woohoo! Yay! I like to see how I'm, that goes. I'm excited about that. I'm not excited about that at all. <laughs> anyway. I mean, it almost feels like it's um, just there to to uh, complete the legal agreements that they had to get the the, yeah, the bands more yeah, than anything basically. else. <laughs> it's a it's a sticker carrier. <laughs> a sticker carrier carrying only sticker cam phones. I hope so. Oh, that's what I'm doing tomorrow. 
putting stickers on phones? I'm going on Miriam. No, I'm going on Miriam's podcast tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I knew I had plans for tomorrow, but anyway. Um, so yeah, we should go ahead and uh, and wrap this up. I I don't know if you have any final thoughts, but uh, but yeah, I mean, basically, what it boils down to is if you are in the United States. There is limited choice, and the reason for that is largely because of carriers, and largely, and, and I'm not going to put all the blame on carriers. Um, I will put a good bulk of the blame on U.S. consumers, because U.S. consumers want a, uh, an easy process of walking into a carrier mm-hmm. store and getting a whole package getting a phone getting a phone number getting a wireless plan getting the whole shebang and walking out of there with a working phone and i i totally get the attraction of that trust me i get it and and i also get that my mom doesn't want to go to oneplus.com and shop for a phone and then have it shipped to her and then go to t-mobile and have them ship her a a sim card and then like try to figure out how to pull out the tray i know she doesn't want to do that i know most people don't want to do that but at the same time i still think that carriers could make could grease the wheels a little bit to allow more manufacturers to ship phones in the united states and bring more choice to consumers and Right now, that's not happening. And one thing I'll add to this is, number one, there are just so many awesome brands of phones outside of the United States. So many phones that we don't see yeah. that I would like a chance to experience that even if I, mm-hmm. I, I I can import these phones and I would pay a premium for them, but you just can't get a good phone experience, unfortunately. Honor comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Vivo yeah. and Oppo both yeah. are, 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 especially Vivo's latest, some of their latest uh um, cameras that's just seem pretty the amazing. find n i want yeah, that phone too. so hard uh, <laughs> anyway. but but also we have lots of of choices right but then i'm i'm probably not going to import those anyway because they're just they're not compatible with the network and mm-hmm. unfortunately we're not even getting you know we have OnePlus here which as an example you know is a is a makes perfectly nice phones but i would love to have some of the other bbk ones here it says we're not even getting like the best version of like some of the phones we could get from sister right? brands right <laughs> but what i what i hate i think what i think about most is like shots fired right that yeah it really makes it hard as a sell for anyone who wants to start a new phone company you know li- like mm-hmm. a nothing or in, mm-hmm. in in previous generations um essential or some of the other brands that have, have tried to and OnePlus back in the early right, days. Right, exactly. Uh to to even get funding because unless you're on a carrier or you have an a, 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 an agreement with a carrier to start, then the odds of you selling many devices are are next to nil. Not great. And and so I, yeah. again, I think that stifles innovation and and limits um what I think is is the best part about being a smartphone nerd is having that choice, right? Yeah, hundred percent agree. So, well, we'll just have. To, I mean, so I, I'm not sure really what I was hoping to accomplish from this podcast, except to just whine about it for 20 minutes. And I think we've done that. Oh yeah, well. absolutely. So that's great. And you know, we've kind of broken down like what the problem is. So I guess the next steps are to try to figure out how to 
solve it, but that's going to have to wait for another episode because that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast if you enjoyed it, and if you really enjoyed it, I would love it if you would write a review for the show. If you want some early access, jump on to Patreon at patreon.com slash benefit of the down. You can write to the show by visiting benefitofthedown.com slash contact. I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for coming on and talking all about the U.S. phone market and for all of his hard work behind the scenes, but most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving giving me the benefit, giving us the benefit of the doubt.